Welcome to The Social Contract, a podcast created by author George S. Corey and the artist Cleo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 5 of The Social Contract. I'm actor, writer, producer Tavia Gilbert, and today I'm delighted to present an exclusive preview of the forthcoming book by George S. Corey, Presidential Conversations for Kids. Before we get into the episode, I want to acknowledge that today is a special day. It's Memorial Day. All of us at the Social Contract Podcast want to extend our sincere thanks to all the servicemen and servicewomen, some of whom sacrificed their lives, who have served our country fighting for the everyday freedoms that we enjoy. We salute you. Presidential Conversations for Kids is the young reader's version of Presidential Conversations, aimed at kids ages 8 to 12 and featuring art by Cleo. PC for K, as we like to call it, will be published in the fall, perfectly timed for some lively back-to-school reading. The book follows two 10-year-old kids, George and Gigi, love that name, and a time-traveling skateboard. The kids meet U.S. presidents throughout history and learn a lesson in leadership from each. Truth from Washington, freedom from Lincoln, hope from Obama. You get the picture. And I just have to say, sometimes you can indeed judge a book by its cover, and this is one very cool cover. It shows a big red skateboard that is covered with multicolored stickers of Biden, Harris, JFK, Teddy Roosevelt, and more. It's just wild. We shared the cover image in our show notes, so be sure to check it out. I am so excited to share a preview of Presidential Conversations for Kids. But first, a quick recap about The Social Contract. This monthly podcast is for political junkies who might have forgotten just how fun and often comical politics and Washington's political figures can be. The podcast was created as a companion piece of sorts to George's book, Presidential Conversations, which I'm excited to say is now available in paperback. You don't need to be familiar with the book to thoroughly enjoy The Social Contract, but in keeping with its spirit, this podcast features fictional, often satirical send-ups of the hot-button political issues of the day. In today's new episode, we're going to reminisce a bit about the books we loved as kids and talk about the importance of instilling a love of books and reading among our younger listeners. Now, let's listen. Presidential Conversations for Kids by George S. Corey Art by Cleo Narrated by Stephen DeRosa Prologue George and Gigi Let's go! Oof! Georgie cried out as he stuck the landing on his skateboard. The bright red supreme longboard with a faded blue smurf in sunglasses stenciled on its nose was Georgie's prized possession. Ten-year-old George, everyone called him Georgie, was now the first in his class to flip his board onto the rail and ride it down the front steps of the elementary school building. It was the last day of fourth grade. School was out and summer was here. 
So Georgie, naturally, decided to exit the school building in trailblazing style. Georgie already had a lot of firsts under his belt. He was the first in his class to get straight A's. Okay, he got a B plus in math. He was always the first kid to get picked for athletic teams. Well, except for basketball. Georgie was fast, but also short. He was even the first kid in his family, older brother to his twin sisters, Abigail and Dolly. Georgie may have been destined to be number one at many things, because his parents, both history teachers, had named him after the first president of the United States, George Washington. Plus, they just really liked the name George. Georgie's classmates cheered and whooped, even some of the fifth grade kids. But Georgie played it cool. He raised two fingers in a peace sign and motioned to his BFF, Gigi. Let's get out of here, G, he said. Already by your side, G, Gigi replied. They bumped fists and rode away on their boards. Gigi's board was purple, and she had traced hearts all over it in different colors. She called it heart art and got a kick out of how that rhymed. Her name was actually Giselle, a name that had been passed down over multiple generations of her family who came from the French West Indies. But everybody called her Gigi. Well, everyone except Georgie. He called her G, and she called him G. And they thought that was pretty cool. While George was a top banana at school and sports, Gigi wasn't crazy about school, except for drama club, and hated sports, except for skateboarding, which she loved. Gigi thought of herself as a star in the making, and true to form, usually landed a leading role in school plays. She always wore her black hair in two pom-pom buns atop her head, and after she celebrated her 10th birthday, she was allowed to wear clear lip gloss and glitter nail polish, also clear. So, for a fourth-grade girl in suburban D.C., Gigi had star quality. But she still managed to be way down to earth and liked to keep it real, as she was fond of saying. As they glided down the sidewalk on their boards enjoying their Astro Pops, Georgie noticed a huge rip in Gigi's jeans. Wow, Georgie exclaimed. You really tore your jeans out. Yeah, trying to flip my board and ride it down the steps, just like you did when you made your grand exit. Do not try this at home, kids, joked Georgie. Leave it to us pros. Yeah, whatever. I'm convinced your board's got some kind of magical voodoo power. I bet if you let me ride it, I could do two flips and ride it down the steps. No way, G. Aw, oh, come on, please. No. S'il vous plaît? Georgie laughed. Well, now that you asked in French, I'll think about it. The two G's fist bumped. Oh, hey, do you want to come over for dinner tonight? Georgie asked. Marie's in town, and she's making kibby. Kibby? As in my favorite Middle Eastern food? Oh, I am there. Then we can hit the skate park. Marie was Georgie's Egyptian grandmother. Her official name was Grandma Marie. But Georgie and Gigi, who was Grandma Marie's favorite of the neighborhood kids, referred to her simply as Marie between themselves. Grandma Marie was cool. Whenever she visited, she played old school board games like Scrabble and Battleship with Georgie and his friends. 
a former star forward on her all-girls Catholic high school basketball team, she'd even shot hoops with the kids. And she was an amazing cook. The kibbe she made were football-shaped meatballs made with beef, onions, pine nuts, and cracked wheat. Marie deep-fried them, refusing to bake her kibbe just to make the moms happy. And sometimes she'd take Georgie, Gigi, and their friends out for french fries and milkshakes, swearing them to secrecy so their parents wouldn't find out. Georgie and Gigi especially loved the exotic dishes she prepared. She also made a mean grilled cheese. Georgie's parents were attending an academic symposium in Albuquerque. He knew how to spell Albuquerque, thanks to prep for the recent spelling bee, but still wasn't quite sure how to pronounce it. He was just stoked that they took the twins with them and that he was getting to kick off summer vacay with a feast of his favorite Middle Eastern comfort food with two of his favorite people, Grandma Marie and Gigi. I'm glad you have a friend like Gigi, she had told Georgie. She's nice and smart. She laughs at your jokes and makes you laugh too. That's important. And she likes skateboarding too, exclaimed Georgie. She's definitely my BFF. I thought I was your BFF, Grandma Marie joked. You're both my BFF, Georgie replied diplomatically. That night at dinner, Georgie and Gigi excitedly shared their summer plans with Grandma Marie. They envisioned a summer filled with fun, adventure, a few beach trips, and lots of skateboarding. And your summer reading list, Grandma Marie reminded them. Oh yeah, that too, Georgie reassured his grandmother. The two G's hung on to every word Grandma Marie said as she served them her famous Egyptian sugar cookies and poured two glasses of cold milk for them. You two are growing up so fast. And in a few months, you'll be starting fifth grade. You certainly aren't kiddos anymore. You're kids. Later, as they rushed to the skate park before it got dark, Georgie and Gigi agreed that Grandma Marie was right. They weren't kiddos. They were kids. Suddenly, it felt like summer was full of endless possibilities. The skate park was filled with kids of all ages. There were even some teenagers, but they mostly kept to themselves with a too-cool-for-school attitude. The younger kids all wore protective gear thanks to the parents. And just to be on the safe side, there was always a parental monitor at the skate park to make sure the kids were properly padded up. Wrist and shin guards, knee pads, sometimes goggles, and of course, helmets. The kids personalized their protective gear just like they did their boards, especially the helmets. On any given day at the skate park, one could observe a sea of vibrant colors, mohawk tufts, blinking lights, and in Gigi's case, a purple glittery globe of a helmet adorned with hearts and peace signs. There were even separate lanes for skateboarding, BMX, scooter, wheelchair, and aggressive inline skating. Gigi breezed by and did a perfect kickflip on her first try. She was fearless. Georgie loved that about her. Cool, shouted Georgie. You think that was cool? Check this out. Gigi then did a heel flip. Not as perfect, but still clean. She giggled, exhilarated, and bent down to tighten her shoelaces. 
Georgie whizzed by on his longboard and invited Gigi to hop on. Seriously? She said. Yeah, hop on, Gigi, Georgie said with a smile. Doubling up on a longboard with the weight of two kids, you could pick up serious speed. So Gigi mounted Georgie's longboard and they were off. Let's go, cried Georgie. They leaned into the enormous 20-foot-high half-pipe wall, picking up wicked speed, and whoosh! They launched straight into the sky. Whoa, what's happening, G? cried Gigi. I don't know, G. Maybe this thing is magical. They seemed to be floating through the sky on Georgie's longboard as a freezing rainstorm began. Neither of them could see because of the hard rain beating down straight into their eyes. Then... Splash! They were gently but abruptly dropped into the frigid waters of the Delaware River. It was Christmas night, 1776, and none other than General George Washington was coming to their rescue. Chapter 1 George Washington, crossing the Delaware. Georgie and Gigi paddled hard through the icy cold water toward a boat that was rocking violently in the waves. Georgie somehow managed to keep his beloved longboard tucked safely under his arm. A tall man in a long blue overcoat stretched his long, strong arm out and hoisted them aboard to safety. The kids rolled over onto their sides, gasping as rain and sleet beat down upon their faces. Proceed rowing, men, the kid's savior yelled back to his crew. Georgie and Gigi caught their breath and removed their helmets as trapped water gushed out. The man eyed these strange-looking children quizzically. He then picked up the skateboard and studied the odd contraption. Georgie's eyes widened. It can't be, he said to himself. What? asked Gigi. That's George Washington. Hey, you're George Washington. The kids gazed bug-eyed as the tall man approached them. That is correct. I am General George Washington. But how did you- Here, check it out, said Georgie excitedly as he unzipped a pocket in his shorts and dug out a soaking wet dollar bill. Look! Washington took the bill and was visibly startled to see his own image reflecting back at him. Why, what is this? Who are you children? Well, I'm George, and this is my friend Gigi. Okay, this may be hard to believe, and I'm not even sure I understand what's going on myself, but we're from the future, I guess? Washington laughed. Ha. Huh. Surely the sleepless nights and battle fatigue have finally gotten to me. No, we're very real. Sir, said Georgie. Yeah, and we know a bunch of stuff about you, added Gigi. Such as? Washington inquired skeptically. Georgie rattled off a barrage of facts. Your wife's name is Martha. You live at Mount Vernon in Virginia. That was actually our third grade field trip. <laughs> yeah, that was fun, piped in Gigi. You're the first president of the United States. But not yet. You've got years to go before that will happen. And I was named after you. My parents are, like, super into history. 
Washington's stoicism masked his awe at these unexpected visitors, who were both now shivering. He walked away only to return with two blankets. Here. These may help keep you warm. Then Washington returned to his men. Overhearing their frantic discussions, Georgie and Gigi surmised that Washington was leading his fleet, some 2,400 soldiers, from Pennsylvania to New Jersey across the Delaware River in a surprise attack against enemy forces. OMG, we're in the middle of the Revolutionary War, exclaimed Gigi. We're literally crossing the Delaware with Washington, like in the famous painting. You were right, G, said Georgie. That board is magic. Told you, G. We've got to help him. It's our patriotic duty. They scurried up to Washington and tried to speak in colonial English. General, how will you navigate under these conditions? Georgie asked. The night crossing is made more difficult by the, uh, uncertain thickness of the ice on the river. That is a good question, lad, whoever you are and from wherever you hail. The fact that our journey has been made ever more arduous by these conditions will only make our attack more stealth. I insisted that I lead this great mission, and there is no option but to succeed. We must be successful. Then Gigi had an idea. She pulled out her iPhone, complete with an ultra-cool thermal imaging case. And it still worked! They weren't kidding about being waterproof, she thought to herself. Gigi breathlessly explained to Washington how she could help him safely navigate to shore. Washington was awestruck. They rushed together to the bow of the ship. Gigi crouched down, turned on the infrared night scope app, and aimed it straight ahead. The shores of New Jersey were now clearly visible, even against the dark night and heavy rainfall. Georgie then brought up a map of the 13 colonies on his iPhone. The two Gs compared the infrared view from one iPhone and followed the historical coastal maps from the other and helped guide Washington as he passed through the ice flows to reach the shores of Trenton. This is a miracle! exclaimed Washington. You both have guided our vessels true. Upon landing, Washington had his men ready the fleet for a swift escape after the mission was completed. Georgie and Gigi huddled under blankets watching them. In a quiet moment, Gigi asked Washington if sneaking up on the enemy in a surprise attack is like telling a lie. Oh, not the cherry tree story again. The troops do love telling that tale. Then Washington mimicked a nobleman with his hand outstretched, saying, I cannot tell a lie. This made the kids laugh. But to answer your question, in this instance, no, it is not lying. A stealth invasion is a military tactic that is entirely justified, especially with the future of our country at stake. Now as I take leave of you children, and in gratitude for the feat you have performed for the benefit of our young nation this evening, I remind you of the value and power of truth. Aspire to this ideal throughout your lives, and I implore you to understand how it was only my blunt truthfulness from the time I was a child 
that gave strength to my character and resolve to my actions. In a way, it was my pursuit of truth in all things that led me here tonight. And I suppose it will have also been my pursuit of truth that led me to become, as you have foretold, the first president of this new land. So let that be a lesson to you, children. Let that be my humble gift to you. Suddenly the sky flashed with artillery fire, and just like that, Washington's good spirits evaporated. The great general sprang into action, commanding his platoon to take the shores of New Jersey just as... When the black smoke and debris cleared, Georgie and Gigi found themselves once again flying through the sky atop what could now only be called a magical skateboard. Okay, if these chapters are any indication, Presidential Conversations for Kids is going to be nothing short of an amazing ride. On a magical skateboard, no less. I am so excited to once again talk to one of my favorite people, the author of Presidential Conversations for Kids, my friend, George S. Corey. It's great to get to speak to you again. I want to ask you what the difference was between writing a book for adults and writing a book for kids. I feel like you're so comfortable around kids, and you also, I perceive, don't talk down to anyone, let alone children. But was there a different way you approached the process? I talked about serious matters like slavery and the slave economy and discrimination, but in a way that 10-year-olds understand in first grade, you know? And now the story, it's fun and it's crisp. And I have a number of nieces and nephews at that age group. And when I sent them the manuscripts, they love the line, we're kids now, not kiddos. <laughs> and they, they really love that. So uh, I knew I was onto something. I love that. I'm curious what books about civics or American history stirred your imagination when you were a kid growing up. Well, I have, in fact, this book, which is Meet John F. Kennedy, was literally my book in grade school in Galveston, Texas. And I had the whole series of Kennedy and Teddy Roosevelt. And those stories in these books are exactly what I wrote about when I wrote Presidential Conversations. And so I went back to other kids' books to try to find interesting stories that you wouldn't know, like the bit about John F. Kennedy when his P-2109 boat was hit and grabbing his sergeant's lifeboat by his teeth and swimming him three miles to the island. That stayed with me, you know, even from when I was like six or seven. So I knew I wanted to write about that. I knew I wanted to write about Teddy Roosevelt being sickly as a child, but then his father saying, you must build yourself up. You know, I love that story. So there's a lot of golden nuggets that I knew that first graders, uh, it would really appeal to mm -hmm. them. All my nieces and nephews, and I have other honorary nieces and nephews who read this, the best story that they all loved was when Georgie and Gigi fall back into uh, the day of the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln 
pulls them into his coach and he's totally disorganized and he's going to be in Gettysburg in uh, 20 minutes and he's writing uh, with a quill and Gigi says to Georgie, we have to help him. And so they sit down and luckily the Gettysburg Address is so short that I just did it line by line and the three of them wrote it together. Georgie even gives Abraham Lincoln a cross pen, which the cross company actually invented the first predecessor of the ballpoint pen that year for the war effort. And Lincoln had discovered it and sent it to everybody in the war, which is very cool. So Lincoln at the end says, I'm keeping this. <laughs> but I love that story because they participate and they help Abraham Lincoln. And that's something that all 10-year-olds can appreciate and say, I could have done that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about this before on the show, that you have 14, one, four nieces and nephews. How did they influence the book? And how did you come up with the idea of a magical skateboard? Ah, it's very tough to get the engagement of nieces and nephews. You get them for a couple of weeks or months at a time, then they're busy and then they come back to you and it's like your face is in the sun again. So I have a few nieces and nephews in mind all the time when I'm writing. In fact, when I wrote Presidential Conversations, I had some of the older ones in mind, but for kiddos, I had the ones who were like in uh, first grade, second, third grade, in mind all the time thinking, how would she like this, you know? That's how they influenced it. And plus, I would go back and ask them to read it. They're like, thumbs up, or they'll give me like, I like this part. Uh, I loved We're Kids Not Kiddos, or I liked Lincoln, and that's it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, good enough. Did they come up with the idea of the magical skateboard, or was that your idea? No. My uh, creative director at uh, the publisher, Benjamin, did. I mean, I wrote the publisher four different versions of this out of the first few chapters. And Benjamin was like, this was his line, and it changed everything. He goes, I like Georgie. I want you to write it in the first person of a Georgie. It's not you. We're just using the name because we like it. Make him young. Make him cool. Make him great on a skateboard. And that was the direction. And as soon as Benjamin said that, it clicked, you know, and I had the story. It was it was done. And I knew exactly what I was going to write. And so I wrote that. And then I watched the Olympics and I saw so many great women participating, you know, and I really fell in love with a couple of them. And I was thinking, I really like these women. It's a shame that I didn't do Georgie as a girl. And Cynthia said, give him a partner. Let them be best friends. And so Cynthia uh, Cleo came up with the idea of somebody else. And I had loved the name Gigi. And I knew instantly she was going to be young, black, really dramatic, really cool. And I saw a picture of Amanda Gorman getting an award when she was 13. And she had the two uh, pom-pom hairs mm -hmm. on her head. That's how she wore it when she was 13. And I said, that's her. So Georgie is the kid I always wanted to be, you know, cool, fun, athletic, great on a skateboard. That was not me. But uh, he's like an amalgamation of all the cool kids, the nice cool kids, not the mean ones. And Gigi is, in appearance, Amanda Gorman at 10 and embodied with all the verve of the women that I care for. You know, my Cynthia, my nieces, women with verve. I mean, that's Gigi. I loved how Stephen performed this. I mean, he got everyone, he nailed it. He nailed my grandmother, who is Gigi as well. 
probably more Gigi than almost anybody but Cynthia. He nailed Georgie and Gigi's voices, their verve. He nailed George Washington, you know? It was very moving to me. I have one more question for you. I know you're writing more history-oriented books for kids. Yes, PC for kiddos. <laughs> they're, they're probably not going to use that word. This is for five-year-olds. That's delightful. I sketched this out with one niece. She read through it, and she gave me her advice. She told me kids' books to read and what she liked and what she didn't. But she said, you need to do this for young kids as well. And so she and I sketched out the same book for five-year-olds. We're hoping that it will be a series. I'm working on that now. I feel like everything has come together in writing this stuff. And Cynthia says the same thing about drawing, that everything that she's done comes into this now, Mm -hmm. that we couldn't have done this even 10 years ago, you know? It's extraordinary. You know, it's extraordinary to think that this was just, for me, an idea that came up just to explain Trump to my nieces and nephews in the office of the presidency and the importance of character. And that's all we have is this unwritten contract to treat each other decently. It just comes down to the whole social contract. Luck is all about not pushing at each other in the queue. That's it. Not grabbing the biggest piece of chocolate cake because you can. That's all it is. And that's all contract law. That's all constitutional law. That's all human relations. That's marriage. That's every relationship. That's parenting. That's being a child. That's it. It only comes down to standing in line in the queue and not being a greedy bugger, you know, and being nice to each other. That's it. That's all we have our handshake agreements the world over. So character... The character of the person that we elect to look after us, to guide us in that, is a huge responsibility. And we can help explain to people, especially young people, that this is all just about a handshake deal to treat each other civilly and kindly. That's all we have to do, you know? That's everything. Well, that's a beautiful way to end the conversation. I'm sure that this won't be our last conversation, but I think that that is exactly the point of the podcast and the point of your work. Whether for adults or for children, we are all part of the social contract. Exactly. Author George S. Corey, everyone. As always, I'd like to conclude the podcast with a quote that, I hope, really resonates with our listeners. This one's short and sweet and comes from President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can at least prepare our children for the future. I'm hopeful and optimistic that indeed we can. Like me, you're probably already looking forward to our next episode, Presidential Transitions which will delve into how to deal with friends and family members who hold differing and sometimes clashing political views. Here's a clue. Love is the answer. It always is. That episode comes out on June 27th. Remember, we always release on the last Monday of the month. I want to thank the amazing Stephen DeRosa and, of course, the creators of The Social Contract, George S. Corey and Cleo. If you enjoyed this podcast, it's a safe bet you'll really enjoy George's book, Presidential Conversations, now in paperback. Learn more about George S. Corey at georgescorey.com and about Cleo at theartistcleo.com. 
We'll give you all those links in the show notes. Most of all, as always, I want to thank you, our listeners. We're thrilled to have you here with us. Be sure to follow the Social Contract Podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We hope this will become one of them. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you'd rate and review us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTSCPodcast. This has been the Social Contract Podcast, created by George S. Corey and Cleo. Produced and hosted by Tavia Gilbert. Associate producer, Katie Flood. Music courtesy of Listen Audio. Mix and master by Kayla Elrod. This has been a podcast from Listen Audio in association with TalkBox Productions. <laughs>